if the house is haunted, <laughs> my team says very clearly that the house is on board. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. I really and, do. <laughs> and is as enthusiastic to make this next mark on history. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the final episode of our homegrown series, Made in Colorado. We've spoken with some top brands in the industry and ancillary businesses that have shaped the industry both here in Colorado and across the U.S. We really hope you've enjoyed this season, and I know Jared and I have. It's been really fun to talk to all these different companies here in Colorado. But today we are chatting with Chris Chiari. He is the CEO of 420 Hotels and the owner of the Patterson Inn. The 420 Hotels just became the first hospitality business in the country to receive a provisional license allowing it to operate a cannabis consumption lounge as an amenity to its hotel located right here in Denver, Colorado. We had the pleasure of touring the Patterson Inn last week, which was really amazing. We can't wait for our listeners to learn more about what's to come here for Denver social consumption and hospitality, which is really exciting because it's been a really long road here in Colorado. So super excited. You know, you've tackled this challenge. Um, But with that, welcome, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, thanks for joining us, Chris. And we had a pleasure last week. We actually got a tour of the Patterson Inn and we were absolutely blown away. And uh, there's an immense amount of history involved with it. And, you know, I know Chris has some some awesome plans that we're going to get to later that, you know, is kind of helping form this, you know, 420 Hotel and the rest of the Patterson Inn. So excited to get to that. But before we get too far down the road, Chris, you know, tell us a little bit more about your journey and, and kind of how that all led you here, kind of forming this, you know, cannabis experience. I fell in love with the house <laughs> a little over 11 years ago. Yeah. Uh, it was a abandoned building in Denver. I had flown out here with the intention of relocating here to the city and was selling a place in Fort Lauderdale, Florida that was substantially smaller, but um, significantly more expensive. Uh, very different markets and economies between South Florida and Denver. At least that was the case 11 years ago. Yeah. It was abandoned, but it had an address over the door that um, I already told the story. The structure, if you if you ever go to the website, pattersonin.com, uh, and soon the website for the hotel, the 420 Hotels Inc., um, or the 420hotels.com, you'll see a French chateau. It's a 12,000 square foot structure, sits on what looks like a little hill in the middle of Capitol Hill, blocks from the state capitol and from downtown. And it tells a story, the house tells a story even before the address, even before I became the owner and started the work I'm doing now. And that was the thing I fell in love with. Uh, personally, I've been a cannabis consumer for well over 30 years. I don't want anyone to do the math. <laughs> I want to have that conversation. I'm working really hard to destigmatize and normalize what is this still uncharted territory or this final mile in cannabis legalization around public consumption yeah. or commercial, and in this case, licensed commercial consumption. We're so close. 
but I have been a consumer for uh, just over 30 years. I'm a melanoma survivor. <clears throat> I didn't smoke cannabis as a relation to that, uh, but I did smoke cannabis as a means of quitting smoking cigarettes. I knew 20 plus years ago that smoking cannabis was a better alternative. I'm still a smoker. I enjoy uh, the ceremony of consumption, yeah. enjoy sitting back and taking that 15, 20 minutes and enjoying and smoking a joint. It's very similar to that same experience of being a smoker, but I haven't, haven't had a cigarette in 22 years. Uh, as a, a cancer survivor, I remember very clearly they're cutting this large mole off my back. The doctor said, you have one kind of cancer. Do you want another? Oh, well. And I put cigarettes down. Uh, it took me another couple of weeks, but literally it's been 22 years now this year. That's incredible. Uh, at that time, I was told, don't make long-term plans. You have five to eight years. So 11 years ago, what brought me out here to Denver was I've had almost 80 moles cut off my body, uh, many of them in those early stages of converting. And what the doctor said was, you, you've caught them, you're ahead of the curve, the odds are switched in your favor, go make long-term plans. It was a breath of fresh, fresh air, yeah. <laughs> sold the place in Florida, came to Denver. And like I said, I fell in love with the house. Now I didn't get that house. It was beat out by two weeks all that time ago, uh, but I, uh, it never left my mind. Uh, the address 420, like I said, the house tells a story. The address starts to tell another. And it was my intention the first time I set eyes on that property on March 7th of 2011. I said, I want to turn you into a marijuana bed and breakfast. <laughs> Here we are 11 years later. As you've seen, I did not turn the abandoned property into a bed and breakfast. I was beat out by two weeks 11 years ago. And the mother and son team that turned and opened the Patterson Inn uh, were done with their time at the business uh, four years ago. And I, like I said, never let go of the house and came in and had the opportunity to make the move and have been operating uh, with a great team, but have been operating now for four years, a business that's been in business now nine and a half. And we are at our core, a successful boutique hotel regarded, well-regarded, well-reviewed in downtown Denver. And it was important for me to make sure that the product was sound, that the guests were, uh, it, they loved the experience of what we delivered, that we had the culture of how we wanted to execute hospitality, then add a cannabis consumption lounge. I don't want anyone to look at my business and say, this is just a gimmick to add weed. I have 30 plus years now of being engaged in the space. I have 11 very vocal, active, engaged years of being not just a consumer, but an advocate around policy, around what rules and reform look like. And this is now me executing those 11 years plus other experience in bringing this product to market. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I have a bunch of different thoughts that have come up. You know, it was incredible for us to come and visit the hotel uh, because right when we drove up, you know, it is this massive presence, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially down in downtown Denver. Um, what I thought was really interesting, I told you when we met that I didn't really care about the history, but I did really appreciate what you had to share with us. So will you tell us a little bit more about the history of the Patterson Inn and kind of how it all got <clears throat> started back in the late 1800s, I think, um, in Denver? So yeah, the house is built in 1891 the Keystone 1893 is the first family moving in. Uh, I think what you're getting at and what people should know, yes, cannabis hospitality destination, uh, but it's also purported as an old Victorian to be haunted. <laughs> and so uh, some of that dates back to its early history. But yeah, the first family was only there for about six months. Uh, a man named Thomas Croak builds the house. 
His wife passed before they moved in. Uh, his mother passed not long after buying the house. In a weekend deal after his sons move out, Thomas uh, Croke trades the house for a piece of land with a man named Thomas Patterson, hmm. had been a member of Congress in 1874 for the territory of, Co- of Colorado. Of course, uh, Colorado goes on to become a state in 1876 while he's in office. Uh, he gets embroiled in the messy election of 1876. And after a whole lot of uh, controversy, both locally and nationally, uh, Thomas Patterson goes on to become that first congressman from Colorado in 1877. Uh, the more detailed history, come take the tour, come stay in the hotel. <laughs> uh, but you get into a little bit more intrigue, uh, just as a little uh, sneak peek. If everyone remembers the election of 2000, it's a repeat of 1876. And Thomas Patterson is right at the center of that. Uh, after his one term in Congress, he came home and started, a well, he took over a local paper and turned it into something that became very prominent uh, and later known as the Rocky Mountain News. Goes on to become a U.S. Senator, uh, buys the house, like I said, on a weekend deal, trading for land in 1893 in the fall, moves in uh, with his large family, three sons and two daughters, and um, the center of his life. Uh, the center of his politics, the center of his advocacy is this house. Uh, Patterson goes on to uh, be elected to the U.S. Senate for one term, comes home and conducts eight years of the politics a day in the house. And what I love is what is our lounge, I'm sorry, what is our tavern and about to be open to the public, uh, base tavern in the basement of the property, it was his cigar lounge. Nice. Uh, a space that people would have congregated likely for, uh, well, it was prohibition. So just for a cigar, most likely. <laughs> uh, but I would say this, um, my opinion around haunting and uh, haunted is dramatically different today than it was four years ago when I bought the property. And a lot of that's enriched by the guests that have come through, believers and skeptics. We had a Jack Osborne and uh, his show Portals to Hell shot an episode at the Patterson Inn that aired in 2020, um, full hour, all about the Croke Patterson. Nice. So it has its stories. But like I said, I've been enriched by both the guests that are believers and the guests that are skeptics and um, informed probably on both sides with a narrative that is likely to appeal to many guests that are excited about that. Mm-hmm. On the other side, you know, I've had four years of business. No one's ever, well, only two people have ever been scared out of the house to the point they didn't want to stay. (laughs) But that's hundreds upon hundreds and upon hundreds of guests that have, or thousands actually of guests, hundreds of room nights. I'm well over 600 room nights booked since I bought, maybe more than that, uh, out of a nine-room property currently. So we're doing um, business-wise really well. We serve uh, breakfast you don't want to sleep in on that I'm proud of. <laughs> I have an extraordinary team that has bought into the culture of what I'm trying to execute mm-hmm. and has followed and many of them have been with me for years now and have been a part of watching this uh, policy uh, evolve and change at the city level, the property uh, conform to meet and be prepared for the opportunity. Now I bought a residential property that was licensed for the operation of a small hotel. I had to rezone the property Uh, Not an easy thing to do. It took 13 months and I launched that effort right in the middle of COVID, unsure of what the world was going to look like, Uh, especially as we were just coming back and opening back up after a five month um, unexpected vacation. 
in the <laughs> uh, late spring and, and early summer of 2020. Yeah. So we, that work was done. Um, first applications were November 11th of 2021. I was the first applicant in Denver. Uh, really excited for another opportunity, another lounge in Denver that that actually got the first license at Tetra. They're still waiting to open. They're dealing with the same thing I have to deal with now. Uh, maybe something we could talk about. We're on the HVAC system that's required for this type of operation. Um, I think the last hurdle and maybe a final sign of whether or not a municipality like Denver is truly ready for this or is willing to be uh, very proactive in working with the few of us that are stepping forward to try to execute on these new licenses. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And, you know, I just want to take a step back and highlight that, you know, this, the hotel has incredible history and you walk into it and you can, you know, immediately feel it and you're walking around the property and it's, it's mind blowing. It like truly is mind blowing. And then you hear some of these stories from Chris and, and you can kind of see it kind of literally on the wall. So I would definitely encourage you to go visit it because I think the Patterson Inn on its own is a really fascinating property. But I think also what is pretty cool is that you've purchased this property and you're literally like creating new history for the property on your own, you know, by incorporating this cannabis lounge and, and addressing, like you said, probably one of the last big hurdles of cannabis in general, which is social consumption and public consumption. And, you know, where do people go to consume cannabis once they purchase it? It was something that really hasn't been addressed in a lot of ways uh, through legalization. And it's still something that is it's just hard to get around. And so I know that you're taking that problem head on and, you know, tell us a little bit more about, you know, why you have the intention to, to create this cannabis consumption lounge. And then, you know, let's discuss more of these hurdles that you're mentioning of, you know, still today, you know, you're still going through hurdles today to make this a reality. Let's talk about it more. I, I mean, it was always part of the discussion. No one ever, it's not like we woke up and said, okay, social consumption, oops, we forgot about it. I cannot, nor have I ever spoken on behalf of any of the framers, really brilliant people who were ambitious and took an extraordinary effort to make this all a reality. And what I can say is that in conversations I've been lucky enough to have with some of those um, original drafters and originators of the policy was that the conversation, there was a fear that um, asking for everything might be too much, that once you start, even when I did my license, one of the neighborhood groups called it a marijuana bar. <laughs> and marijuana bar as messaging hits trigger points in members of the community that are still adverse to the pace of legalization. And that's changed significantly in the last nine years, almost decade, but no less the stigma around marijuana bar today for some people still carries and can cause a trigger or a negative reaction to these types of uh, progressive licensing or efforts. So that was important. And I do believe that they made a decision recognizing that the overall message of legalization could have been confused or further burdened by what would have been a very detailed and needed discussion about what this consumption element meant and knowing full well that rulemaking, that state statute, that all these other components would have to come into play before there was ever implementation. Yeah. But explaining that sometimes to the voting pop uh, um, audience close to an election as the clock is ticking, it gets harder and harder to do. And so I think there was a decision and a very conscious decision to say, OK, we'll get to that one next. Let's get this done now. We'll get to that next. Yeah. And so much of the reform here in Colorado and even in other states 
starting with medical, helping communities begin to see what this looked like in a vertically integrated space as businesses operated as good neighbors. And that all had to take these stepping stones. And I think the feeling was, okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow became eight (laughs) years, eight more years. Yeah. And that's incredible. Like it was, it was eight years ago. I know we talk about social consumption a lot. You know, I've been teaching cannabis yoga classes here in Denver for like three, four years. And it's always the biggest hurdle. It's like, where are we going to go to smoke? Like, we're just trying to smoke a joint and do a little bit of yoga. It's not that big of a deal. Um, but, you know, it, it's been hard here in Denver. So I'm really, really glad to see that this is finally, you know, legal and up and running here in Denver. You know, they do have the Tetra Lounge, but now this hotel that you're offering. So for those who haven't got a chance to visit it yet, it's important to understand that they're it's separate entities, right? So like you can go into the Patterson Hill Inn and be a guest and stay in the hotel rooms as well as go and visit the um, the bar. And then it's also separate where the consumption lounge will be. So can you explain to us a little bit further about how that whole thing worked out and how you actually did get this license and what all the legality of it moving forward will look like, especially like this really expensive HVAC system? Yeah, so literally uh, the Patterson Inn, when I bought it, had a hotel, restaurant, liquor, and live entertainment license. The liquor license was restricted where I could only serve to registered guests of the hotel. Part of the process of rezoning, uh, I had to go into the community for community support. And at that same time, I asked for an update to the use of the liquor license, which was granted. Uh, So the same group that had provided the last owner with a restriction to guests only offered me an opportunity to open the door to the public. They were actually different leadership, different a decade later uh, from when the renovations were first done on the property and a different desire in the community for this, this walkable city. Denver is striving to become everything you could possibly want within 20 minutes of your door to truly be a walkable community. Within nine blocks, you should have most, if not all, the services or amusement or entertainment that you want. And that's the goal. And so uh, we're activating the space, street level activation. And so that fits into the ambitions of the community group today. And so it was a natural fit. What I realized, though, was that I could have the cannabis lounge in the carriage house. And again, if you go to PattersonInn.com, you'll see this French Chateau. The larger structure on the left, they are all attached, but the larger structure on the left is the main house with the nine-room hotel and the tavern in the basement. And the carriage house on the right is an unused apartment space above. And then what we're turning into the lounge, this about 1,200-square-foot first-floor unit, uh, about 200 square feet for the bathroom and the hallway, and then a 1,000-square-foot room for the lounge. Occupancy right now for the space is 50 people. Its use historically was event space. But at 50 people, it's too small for, you know, big events and it's it's too big for truly small, intimate events. And so even though we would do things in the main house for smaller groups, weddings, the carriage house was still relatively unutilized. So my goal has always been to activate that space. And like I said, my first time I set eyes on the house 11 years ago, it was this is it. This is this is yeah. the send. This is a place to start and center a conversation around cannabis hospitality. So. Um, the cannabis lounge and the carriage house can be by code ad- adjacent 
to a liquor business, uh, but you can't move from inside of the building between the businesses. So legally, what I needed to do was separate all of these entities. So our liquor license is being modified right now. All alcohol is being exclusively moved to the basement. The basement space has now been built out with a new bathroom and all of the accommodations needed to operate independently. And the tavern, which is opening up under the name 12 Spirits, is a separate business entity and again operates independently from the hotel, but leases the space from the property owner. Uh, Patterson Inn is the hotel restaurant operator upstairs. Uh, it then is accessible and adjacent to the tavern. So guests can move between the two. And now as we're moving forward with the build out for the cannabis hospitality lounge, we have this now new entity that is now adjacent to a hotel restaurant and adjacency to a hotel restaurant is allowed for a cannabis lounge. And more importantly, accessibility is allowed. So our access to the, the, so the tavern will be open to the public, but you will not then have free access up into the hotel. Use of the hotel is exclusive to hotel guests who can go to the bar and come back to the hotel at their leisure. It's all done through a door code and, and a door with a with a lock on it. The lounge access is going to be somewhat restricted, but always reservation. And the restrictions will be private events. So that would make, that's where you might attend and not be a member. Members who then could call ahead and have privileges to they come visit and bring guests especially for breakfast. And then more importantly, hotel guests who then would have access to purchase a day pass and as well as guests of those hotel guests. So if you come in for a conference, you've got a couple of friends at the uh, hotel downtown, you decided to stay here for this extraordinary and unique amenity and the service we provide and the breakfast you know not to sleep in on, you can share that by bringing then your friends and guests in. And we now have access to the restaurant license, through all of these unique licenses and their allowed accessible relationship between each other to service food in the cannabis lounge, to service food down into the tavern, while serving alcohol to the general public and guests of the hotel in that tavern. And then again, with some restrictions and reservations, granting access to the lounge. I really wanted to let people, I really want to let people smoke in their rooms. I can't. (laughs) The rules say that if I create and license a space as cannabis hospitality, it has to be vacated and closed from 2 a.m. to 7 Mm, a.m. And at the end of the day, my, I'm a cannabis business. That's my goal. That's what we're working towards. But at the end of the day, I'm a hotel. Mm-hmm. My core business, my core revenue, my cash flow, my operations is heads and beds hospitality with the most exciting and unique amenity in America with cannabis hospitality attached to the property. Uh, it's where I intend to then take this property, this project, this vision, this model, and move it hopefully to gateway cities across the country and around the world. HVAC, you asked about HVAC. <laughs> 1,000 square foot room, Denver never outlawed hookah and cigar lounge. What they did was they dramatically increased the requirements of airflow through the space. And so it's 60 cubic feet of air per person per hour. Give you a frame of reference, that's 12 times the norm of what you would find in normal residential or commercial space, which is required to move five cubic feet per person per hour. That's incredible. 42 people times 60, 22,520 cubic feet of air in a room that's 1,000 square feet with roughly a 10-foot <laughs> ceiling. So it's at or just under 10,000 cubic feet in the room. 
not including furnishings, which of course would diminish the actual air capacity of the room, but the room has to be able to move 2,520 pounds of air per hour, or at least 25 to almost 30% of the total air in the room per hour. Wow. At that rate, there is no space or room to recirculate any of the heated or cooled air already in the room, even if it was going through some other filtration. So it's happening, and according to code, the system is one going to be on the low six figure, but for a 1,000 square foot room, the air handling system will literally pull every drop of air in fresh from outside and vent every drop of air that it exhausts. What that means is that every drop of air that comes in, considering peaks of summer when it's 100 degrees out or peaks of winter when it's minus six, that air needs to be heated or the extraction of heat to cool uh, to the extremes at 2,520 cubic feet of air per hour. Wow. Um, I said to the city of Denver, we have a meeting scheduled with the engineers, the design, the architect, myself, and the city next week. Now that we have licensing, they're very accommodating. I can't fault the city for engagement. But by code, I told them I might be... Um, there and willing to build this thing. But what I've come to is, I don't know if I'm eccentric enough or crazy, whatever word you want to use to turn it on. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't know how much that's going to cost to operate that system. And my biggest hurdle, my biggest intimidation right now is the prospect of what that looks to to move. When you're cultivating, it's probably going to be, it's it's not as big as the systems that are in uh, tier five grows here in Colorado. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I have a really good idea of what those types of electrical costs look like. So I can ballpark what this is going to be. I don't think it shuts it down, uh, but it's tragically inefficient. Uh, that's for sure in a space and in a world where we're trying to strive towards efficiency yeah. in cannabis, where we are as from the vertically integrated or cultivated side or cultivation side, indoor cultivation, they're very energy hungry businesses. Mm-hmm. And we're creating that again. I don't deny I need to move uh, 60 cubic feet of air per hour. I really want to. I was actually intending to do that. But my hope was each booth, each station in the room would offer a chance to have a variable switch or fan so that as occupancy increased, Mm -hmm. our ability to scrub the air could Mm -hmm. go up and come down. Uh, We'll see. We'll see what the city says to that. uh, As opposed, If I could recirculate some of the air inside of the room, what that means towards efficiency for heating and cooling would be significant. Yeah. Uh, so I'll know more in a week, but it is the the next hurdle. I have architectural and structural plans that are done and ready to go to the city uh, for the next step. This is the final for me. What I do know is that the one other licensee, you said it, Tetra, different model, love it. Can't wait to send my guests there, but I believe is also navigating the same final hurdle around now. What does it look like to take these spaces, meet code in order to secure the final licensing and getting all the departments to sign off? That's now the last major challenge. But we're just another build out now, all of us, both of us. Uh, Tetra, Dwayne, brilliant. What he's been doing in the community, what he's been doing in the operation of the Tetra Lounge for years has been a significant contribution to this effort to normalize, destigmatize. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he offers a really fun place, a place that I think is going to be a great party on a Friday, Saturday mm-hmm. night. And if cannabis and a good time and, and a larger crowd and lots of energy, good music is your uh, desire and your scene, he's building that. I'm offering something that's going to be a little bit more subdued, very limited access. It's driven by the realities that I had metal parking. So I can't add a business or a venture that's going to bring a lot of uh, driving traffic because we don't have that capacity in Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Could have never earned community and neighborhood support if I had pushed that. Yeah. The other side, you see the building, it's old. It has its ability to absorb a degree of increased occupancy, but it's still this really quiet, sophisticated space. And I want to preserve that. The core of this business, like I said, is the overnight hospitality of the hotel at Patterson Inn. So it's very important that I protect that as that core business. Well, then, to the best of my ability with the law, carve out this unique, safe, licensed space for the cannabis lounge. And then for me, doing everything I can to normalize and destigmatize by offering a business in 12,000 square feet that is a hotel restaurant, that is the most unique and exciting amenity and hospitality today with cannabis with an attached cannabis lounge. And then the normality or that very familiar of a small 34 person neighborhood tavern. I love that. And you know, it almost gives me the vibe of kind of like a speakeasy. Like there's like this exclusivity to it. And also, like you say, kind of the sophistication where you are going there to, to really like de-stress, you know, you're not looking so much for like this social atmosphere. You're not looking for, you know, loud music. And it's, it's, it is a different vibe. And I think you need that vibe too, because people crave that vibe and people want a place to relax and kind of enjoy themselves and enjoy the canvas without having, you know, other things going on. So I think what you're trying to create there, it is, you know, you mentioned you're going to have like these private booths so you could, you know, bring a party of five and, and hang out with your friends. And then, you know, you guys can have your own space and have, you know, the privacy that you want while, enjoying cannabis products. And we're, and we're not the space. If you get rowdy, if you're really having that um, exuberant party time, mm-hmm. I'm likely to encourage you to Uber over to Tetra. There you go, yeah. Because it has that yard and it has that space and it's big and it's open. My space is likely, and I believe based off of my four years now of, oper- of operating the hotel, is likely to attract many kind of curious yeah. What I like about this space for the kind of curious is it will never be crowded. The door will never be open. It will be the reservation will control the flow. Very few unexpected things that happen around you. What I already know about engaging in the cannabis conversation with guests at happy hour and having industry friends when they travel through Denver stay at the hotel is these very fun animated conversations with the can of curious where they (laughs) come in sometimes with hesitation reservation and leave at least with um, an acknowledgement, a comfort and a curiosity, maybe for a lotion for uh, pain in their hands. And not that everyone should or needs to or has to consume cannabis, but nobody should still be pointing fingers or scolding someone for making the decision to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly well, not for Well, what I think is important here is that we're normalizing cannabis consumption, right? I mean, if you think about a bar, there's all different types of bar experiences. You could go out to the club. You can go, like Jared said, to a speakeasy. There's all different types of experiences for a bar. So why Mm -hmm. shouldn't there be that for cannabis as well? Yeah, And there will be, right? There has to be. There has to be. Cannabis consumers make up all demographics. Cannabis consumers 
make up all um, societal elements, all craving. Uh, there are um, 20-somethings that are out there looking for a party and mm-hmm. and and um, impress their friends with, with their ability to consume. I've been in those crowds. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's what you're looking for, you're going to find it. And um, this is uh, what I look for now. Um, something more, not so much coffee shop in Amsterdam because I'm not selling. Let's go into that nuance real quick. There were two options, uh, a for sale by the gram or by the dab or by the five to 10 milligram edible model, okay. or there was a bring your own cannabis. I kind of find some of the edible stuff appealing, but what I recognized very clearly was that Denver isn't hungry for another point of cannabis sale. Mm-hmm. We have that. We have a very mature and successful market. What we're lacking and, of course, don't have is any place to legally consume it. Um, also, if you've ever gone into a bar and tried to bring a flask, uh, you usually don't last very long. The bartender <laughs> will generally you out pretty quickly. You cannot bring outside alcohol into a bar. It's heavily frowned upon if you do. And the same level of restriction is applied to a cannabis hospitality business that chooses to do a per sale or per gram sales model. And so my desire and goal was to say to my guests, you can smoke that here, but I don't want to then have to say, but you can't smoke that here. (laughs) And so I didn't want to have to train my staff to create this warm, welcoming, safe, sophisticated space and then compromise that by saying, oh, but I can't believe you try to bring that edible you bought in. Yeah. Or I can't believe you brought that pre-roll and think you can light that here and cut us out of the revenue we're going to make from. No, I didn't want to do that. Let cannabis businesses that sell and produce cannabis be cannabis businesses that sell and produce cannabis. I'm a place to sleep. And I'm proud to say a really great hotel to stay in. And then on top of that, I'm looking to offer uh, that place to smoke a joint when you check in, because for at least the first five years of living in legal Colorado and purchasing legal recreational cannabis and rolling it up and smoking it in my backyard, I took a moment and thought, wow, this is great. I know the reaction my friends come to visit from other states, even ones that are just now legalizing around the cusp. They're like, wow, we can do this like this here. <laughs> That familiarity, it's uh, still there and I think will still be a reality for at least another four or five, maybe six years. And then after that, we intend to be established. Never will be nine rooms going to 11 here in Denver. We'll never be a 200-room hotel. I'm always hoping to be able to provide a really fun, unique place to get away to this old historic house breakfast you don't want to sleep into in on this tavern in the basement that you and your friends can have a, a drink before going out to dinner or to a show or to a game mm-hmm. and oh wow let's go up and stop in the lounge because i can't believe i'm sitting in my hotel smoking a joint i can't believe <laughs> i'm smoking this last joint before i throw this all away and pack up into the car and head off to the airport or, mm-hmm. sorry get my car to pick me up or <laughs> uber or um my lift to the train so I can get to the airport safely. Those types of decisions, you know, yes, people are making them. Yes, cannabis friendly exists. Yes, Airbnb options have been very accommodating because the property owner can designate uh, because it's private property. Uh, That was not and has not been the legal right of commercial. And because of the restaurant, because of the hotel, because of the tavern, because of the live entertainment license, the operation of the Patterson Inn, I've always had to be very uh, careful 
that I don't jeopardize these other operating and significant um, business licenses that are the core of the business. Um, but at the same time, I have not paused in what has now been an 11 year effort to get to this point. And since I purchased the property, if you go and look, Google my, the Patterson Inn, uh, the very first story about my purchase of the hotel says buyer nabs Capitol Hill mansion with marijuana in mind. <laughs> so I have never shied away from or just, uh, you know, uh, diverted away from what has always been the clear intention. I set eyes on this property 11 years ago, and I said, I want to turn you into a marijuana bed and breakfast. The only deviation from that is we're going to 11 rooms. So we'll actually be a marijuana boutique hotel, uh, but we'll still serve breakfast. <laughs> I love that. You know, it almost posits like an existential question of like, was it your intentions with the Patterson Inn to create cannabis consumption? Or did the Patterson Inn secretly have these intentions from the start with the 420 address? And it was secretly <laughs> waiting for Chris to come along to kind of bring it to the next level. If the house is haunted, <laughs> my team says very clearly that the house is on board. <laughs> I think so too. I really and, do. <laughs> and is as enthusiastic to make this next mark on history. Yep. I'm going to tell the story of Thomas Patterson. Hey, you know, maybe he smoked the wacky tobacco. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? So yeah. Well, it's really incredible what you've been able to do here. And I know that, you know, a lot of what you're doing is kind of towing this line and having to really create stuff out of nothing. And, and that takes an incredible amount of perseverance and resilience just to, keep weathering this storm. And, you know, so I got to ask, you know, you know, give us a little insight, you know, what, what keeps you moving? I mean, it's like every step of the way you're kind of, you know, we had this talk when we we're there, you know, it's either a brick wall or a hurdle. You got to go through another hoop. You got to jump through, but something keeps pushing you. You know, what, what is this perseverance behind you? I'm afraid I can't deny that. No. Uh, it's, you know, four years of operation, uh, the very unique, a historic moment that we've all navigated through over the last two years and its impact on hospitality uh, cannot be uh, ignored. But I am, I said it to a friend today because you're the first. And I said, well, I still have to open. We all still have to open. Yeah. And you said before, right? Hospitality, I, I'm careful with. I do believe I'm the first hotel literally with this type of provisional license attached to the property. Of course, other licenses and other businesses have secured hospitality in the form of restaurants or cafes, uh, most notably in California and Oregon. And of course, like we said with Tetra, uh, but some of these other lounges and other uh, jurisdictions have opened and have secured what became that final licensing. And the question everyone still asks is, is it viable? I don't believe that by gram, by dab, by edible sales will ever look like a bar. <laughs> and the reason is we just don't consume it the same way. Yeah, right? we don't. It doesn't mean I haven't seen lounge environments that prove to be very successful. And I go back to my friend at Grass, uh, Grassroots, the clothing company. Um, Ryan was very bold with the break room many years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we've been friends for a long time. I remember when he did that, I tried to step up and be supportive when that went sideways and Denver came and crashed down. What's wild is the way they operated virtually became the same model that other operators went on to utilize and have navigated using that model for almost four or five years now. 
uh, where some of those pioneers like Ryan at Grassroots, going back to six years ago, um, might have been just too early. Yeah. He attracted a culture. And through that attraction of culture and community, likely uh, could carve out a model where a for sale or by the sale could work. I think some of the, I don't want to name them by name. I don't know. I'll name my friend's business because I love the hats and clothing that they produce at Grassroots California. Um, actually, for part of my crowdfunding campaign, we'll end with this with my ability to offer people ownership and what I'm doing with the hotel. Uh, Grassroots did the merchandise for that. Oh, awesome. But uh, some of these big brands could carve out again moving some of their product there in their in their sales model but i'm not sure what it looks like and how many people or how many tourists um, are going to bounce around from cough uh, cannabis lounge to cannabis lounge in denver everyone always asks about amsterdam will we ever see another amsterdam anywhere in america and the answer is no because there is no other place in the world like Amsterdam. That's mm-hmm. true, yeah. It is just an extraordinarily walkable city. And even if things seem further than they are, which they are sometimes, you walk it anyway. <laughs> uh, because, you know, any American walking through Amsterdam, this is just extraordinary architecture. Yeah. It's just an extraordinary place to be in the world. And you don't know if you'd be able to really communicate with taxi drivers. So, you know, maybe just walk this time. <laughs> um, if, but if you've never been, I think even if the world legalizes cannabis, I think there will always be a place for cannabis, cannabis culture in Amsterdam, even if you actually go there for the Van Gogh mm. and not for the coffee shops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was and, one of my but, questions. Like, what, what do you envision social consumption being like in the U.S. as people continue to legalize? Like, is it just going to be social consumption lounges or maybe some infused yoga shops or tasting rooms? I know Vegas has a little bit different of a model. What do you envision us seeing and experiencing? I think tasting rooms would be interesting if you could really engage and interact in a more meaningful way before making a larger purchase and leaving, especially when it comes to flour or some of the uh, extracted products like um, oils and dabs Mm. or rosin. I could see that uh, making a lot of sense. Uh, And again, like I said, you'd be going because there's already an attraction to the cultivator, to the cultivar that they're uh, executing and delivering. You're going for this other bigger thing that isn't just cannabis consumption. Uh, it's the experience. It's the retail. It's the ability to purchase something that you're ultimately going to leave with and you decide to taste it. I can see that being very successful. Yeah. Um, for me, I believe that uh, my model has the chance to be relevant in a dozen plus cities, uh, cities like um, on the East Coast, right? Up. I'd love to make it back to New York, but even in New York, I don't see a 200 room hotel. Yeah. I still see a smaller, more intimate property, uh, recognizing that in uh, all jurisdictions, there is a segment. Right? Recognize in marketing and business, recognize and identify your customer, mm-hmm. and then build them a product they'll love. There you go. That's what you have to do. Uh, that's what I'm doing with the Patterson. Mm-hmm. My vision and goal is to always be small enough to call a guest before they arrive to ask a dietary restriction, which we do today, to get an idea of when you're going to arrive, just so we can make sure we have everything ready for you when you get there. And also that engagement and communication in hospitality is the core of making someone feel comfortable, welcome, and at home. But for cannabis hospitality, it's also 
I want to engage. I want customers coming to the door and asking my team and for concierge advice on where's the best dispensary, where's the best flower, in the hopes that the can of curious or can of novice will make informed decisions like start low, go slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They make sure that they leave with the likelihood of a good experience if they're coming in and experimenting. Nobody should overconsume in the world we live in now. We should just be offering too many points of contact, communication, education, and the hopes that people make good decisions. You know, it's such a thing as overconsumption. Nobody overdoses from cannabis, but you can be so um, saturated with cannabinoids that your couch locked. You literally don't want to get up. Yeah. My hope is all you have to do is get from your lounge back to your room and uh, not, God forbid, into a vehicle of any kind, the passenger, driver, or what have you, so that you can sleep it off. Yeah. On the other side, by having a team, by having a staff, by moving this into hospitality, by having an on-site professional engaging with guests as they're making consumption choices in the lounge, whether it's a soda and a, a chocolate bar, whether it's peppercorn, these are recognizable alternatives and solutions to just sleep it off where we now can engage to make sure we're offering guests options and alternatives to neutralize the over effects sometimes of cannabis and to get themselves feeling more comfortable in the hopes then that it's an easy walk back to their bed. Now, this is still a great unknown Some of us consume cannabis, some of us consume alcohol, some of us consume both. Uh, How some people will react as they consume both is that last major fear. That's why alcohol and cannabis are not being welcomed side by side. Um, Some jurisdictions, they say you can smoke cannabis anywhere you can smoke a cigarette. Well, not too many places left you could smoke a cigarette, but if they (laughs) offered that in Las Vegas, that would mean consuming cannabis while walking through a casino floor. Yeah, right. Also where alcohol is prevalent. So you see those last hurdles they're trying to get to. Will we ever get there? I hope it doesn't take eight more years, but I do think what we're doing now where I'm carving out this very exclusive Mm -hmm. space that's not your room, that's only open from 8 a.m. to midnight, that will be closed for special events every now and then, like... um, um, CEO or industry executive um, uh, meet and greets or fundraisers, um, maybe even music and entertainment. Uh, but at the same note, here in, as an amenity in the hotel, what's that look like? I can't tell you because I still have to build a $906,000 air ventilation <laughs> to do it uh, and run it for $2,000 or $1,000 a month in heating and cooling costs. Um, please come. I need the day passes just to keep the lights on. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, what you're doing is really fascinating in its own. And I think you are going to be, you know, a legend in this space of having to just, you know, push the boundary and figure some of this stuff Let's, out. I, I don't want that. I don't need that. The legends <laughs> are the risk takers. The legends are our smugglers. The legends are our friends that are still incarcerated. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that but I'm trying to build a business. I see a lot of people get caught in that cult of personality and cannabis um, in the frontier of cannabis. And there's a place for it. Uh, but I hope to be, um, you know, until that movie, The Founder came out, no one knew Ray Kroc's name, unless you really were a curious kid and read that brass plaque on the wall of McDonald's, you had no idea that that was a real estate company 
not burgers and fries. Yeah. Uh, so will there be room for a plaque on a wall one day? I get to 12. I think so. Uh, that'll tell a story. But for me, it's this house. For me, it's this moment in time and history. For me, it's this address. Uh, for me, it's the ability to be executing this destination as a first in the nation. And I'm doing the work. Look, I go read my LinkedIn profile. I call myself the lead clown in my own circus. <laughs> so. No, but I I do think Jared does have a valid point here. You are a trailblazer here in the Denver social consumption space. I mean, it's very difficult to do, as we've heard throughout this whole episode. You've gone through a lot of hurdles. You had to learn a lot of stuff about policy and advocacy work and, you know, like consumption laws and everything and HVAC. So many different things. Zoning. (laughs) Zoning. Like so many things that I think the average consumer like us probably doesn't really think about. You know, we might be able to just walk into your hotel one day and spark up a joint and not even think twice about it. So the fact that you've taken, you know, the lead and are doing this and have been committed to it for 11 years is very admirable. So we do appreciate that. And yeah, we can't wait to come, you know, smoke one day in the space. Yeah, seriously. So now owning it, um, testing the water. We're getting close since you'll be out next week. We'll still be testing the water, but we're very close. I had a vision of this house 11 years ago of cannabis hospitality, but also that this be the core asset in something bigger. And the way you get to something bigger is by opening the opportunity to a larger audience, by building that audience and by raising capital through investment. Uh, I made my way coming out from minimum wage jobs and starting out coming out of night school back in 97, doing marketing and messaging for startup companies. And I always helped uh, visionaries that had IP, but which is a tangible asset with a speculative value, but they never had a core asset. Now, I remember then, uh, before I had the melanoma, I, I had notes of how I would structure if I ever did this. Uh, but the goal was core capital asset operations, you can understand, and then IP and something exciting that in the old, old street days, they would call it the darling of, of the street. Uh, that topic that everyone finds unique and wants to talk about. Cannabis is still a darling in the street. It's still one of the most innovative industries in the nation. Cannabis hospitality is still unique. As you're saying, I'm sitting on the forefront doing something and trailblazing. So there is narrative there. And I feel that the time was right. So we launched um, a Testing the Water crowdfund campaign on republic.com for the 420 hotels. Uh, I am the first uh, cannabis-related real estate investment opportunity that this company has been able to bring forward to their audience in their four years of existence. A real quick historic primer comes out of the JOBS Act. President Obama and Speaker Paul Ryan worked together. And one of the elements of the JOBS Act was Kickstarter, but for equity in pre-IPO startup companies. To give anyone and everyone an ability to purchase opportunities that have that opportunity or hope for exponential return that investors always got, angel investors had access to as companies moved up through the capital markets to market, this opened up and democratized equity. And so I'm excited because uh, right now the minimum to get a perk, the minimum investment is a $420 investment uh, for a grassroots hat pin, uh, moves up to $710. Here the significance <laughs> boil upside down. $710 is the grassroots hat. 
$1,000 gets the hat and the hat pin. And the robe, mm-hmm. when you see it, is amazing. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> not a bathrobe. It is not absorbent, but it is warm with a furry interior. It's a lounge robe. Um, all of the merch is themed off of uh, an architectural and stained glass feature in the house. So I'm excited for the merch exclusive to the campaign, Uh, but please go to republic.com or the420hotels.com and there's an investor link up there, Uh, but please make a reservation. And what people will have the opportunity to do is to purchase a piece piece of equity, uh, liquidated value in the physical asset, ownership and equity ownership in the operations of the hotel and equity ownership in a significant portion of the Cannabis Hospitality Lounge. Uh, And it gets even better, and wait, there's more. Should have reversed that. Also, the ownership of the entity that is the tavern and the license in the basement. Um, All of these pieces have been bundled into a company called the 420 Hotels. I am building a model with this structure. Uh, It is a structure that I can bring Uh, Based off some of the nuance of how this is built out and layered, uh, comes from a lot of years being engaged municipal levels, both here and in South Florida, uh, and recognizing the similarities. In economics, which my degree is in, there was always that conversation of widget. A lot of people get confused. Well, what does that mean? It's all of the things that aren't directly related to that one thing. Uh, The rules and law of building out a commercial space for licensing and operation is very similar to restaurant, tavern, and cannabis hospitality. Differences in the HVAC requirements. (laughs) Other than that, it's still a construction project. Uh, And so the widget part is just recognize the things that are the same that you truly can take and apply to different ventures or ideas uh, and build on that body of experience and knowledge. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to do with this hotel. It's my my widget yeah that's fun <laughs> yeah no i think you have an incredible story and you, we uh we certainly look forward to you know watching you continue this and kind of see it come to life so you know thank you again for sharing your story today and uh you know go visit it you know if you can't visit in person visit it online check out the photos you know get it get a feel for it and you know if you're in town in denver stop by you know uh check out the no, make a reservation we are not make a reservation for <laughs> walk in uh we we're nine rooms going to 11. We do not have a lobby that's open to the public. We're too small. Uh, so that door is locked and you only get in if you know the code. So the house already provides that level of exclusivity as you enter. Uh, the tavern is going to be open reservation only. You'll go to 12spirits.com. Uh, reservations will go live at the end of this week um, for our grand opening, which is starting May 27th. Actually doing a soft friends and family opening on Friday the 13th. That uh, just seemed appropriate for <laughs> Tavern called 12 Spirits. <laughs> That's funny. And if you're really into it, you should check out The Bachelor. I heard maybe the Patterson Inn might have been on there. Yes, The Bachelor. <laughs> we had a really great guest. Uh, it was the episode, and I only remember she came back a second time, but Kerpa came back to visit. Um, really, uh, one of the contestants when Colton was here in Denver, and uh, Kerpa made the final four. And, and I remember we were just, she came back, came back with some friends and, and shared. Uh, this desire to see more of the house when they were there for the production, they were pretty uh, locked down and, and, and pushed into their, their corners and their rooms, uh, except when they were off on these dates and adventures. Uh, so it was really fun when she came back with two friends so she could really see the house, got up into the tower room, um, made it down to a little room down in the basement, 
the house has a lot of story, a story you can find on the internet, story that you can see when you get there. I recognize my role. I'm the caretaker of this physical property. I'm also the caretaker of the history. And you said it before, and I don't dismiss it. I'm really excited that a house that has such a deep story is front and center on this story around legally licensed cannabis hospitality. Absolutely. All right, Chris. Well, it's been quite a pleasure. We have two final questions for you. I know you've been kicking it here in Colorado for quite some time now. So what is one of your favorite places to eat here? I love Ace up on 17th. Nice. Yeah, Ace yeah, is good. Yeah, been, it's been fun and consistent. Uh, neighborhood spot. Love it. Yeah, that's the yeah. one where you play ping pong, isn't it? That's the one. Yeah, we like ping pong. That's, yeah, that's a sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've got some good like crispy Brussels sprouts. They do. They do. They used to have a great, they used to have a dish. This one musician that would come out and visit all the time would always order five of them at a time. It was, a, it was one of the toppest dishes that's now a main uh, menus, you know, modified and, and, and uh, developed over the last decade that I've almost lived here in the neighborhood, but it's still, it's still a consistent bedrock here in Uptown. Nice. All right, Chris, well, one final question for you. We are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? I'm lit today. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, lit today, super lemon haze. But I also uh, very much advocate on the lucid. Um, you might not know, but I was on the petitioning committee. I was one of the five Denver citizens that put the psilocybin initiative in front of the city several years back. Uh, we were the five that put our name out. So everyone who had a sign, you know, were aware <laughs> of who their neighbors were that were pushing this. Um, but really proud of that. I didn't take a leadership role in the campaign that was Kevin Williams, um, I'm sorry, Kevin Matthews, and uh, a number of really extraordinary community activists that are still working on this issue now at the statewide level. Uh, they did some extraordinary heavy lifting there. But from a policy standpoint, to be in the discussions of what final language looked like, to be part of uh, getting one of the one question out we were able to do in a poll to get an idea of where the public was on that issue, uh, we thought we were a little early to the gate. Um, looked like we knew we knew we were coming in with forty seven percent and uh, of, of of solid baseline support, and maybe a small persuadable. Uh, and that initiative ultimately did. I think the Westward said the other day it passed fifty percent point two four. So well over fifty percent plus one vote, but not by much. <laughs> Well, we appreciate everything you've been doing for the Denver community. If you're looking for a cool place to stay, check out the Patterson Inn and soon the 420 Hotels. Uh, it's quite the lit place. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, that is the final episode of our homegrown series, Made in Colorado. We really hope you've enjoyed it and kicked us with us this whole season long. But with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. <laughs>